So we are kicking off a new series called God in the Real World. I don't know if you were here, if you'll remember, um, last year we had Paul Utley come and share about um, how, how God was so involved in him as a businessman. And for me, that was the beginning of what I was hoping to be kind of a series of seminars that we didn't end up really kicking off, but we're kicking kind of off now on Sunday mornings. We're going to have a couple of other people talk. John Bird will be speaking and... Stephen Knowles will be speaking uh, on things that are on their heart in this area. You've heard me use this phrase, God in the real world, a lot. You've heard me talking about how I believe that the kingdom of God is not just about personal salvation, going to heaven, um, but it's much, much more. It, it's uh, about God reconciling all things to himself, all aspects of life and society. And today I'm going to um, just kind of crack that open a little bit, just kind of give you a broad overview might be a little bit more informational than inspirational this morning, but that's okay, I think. I'm going to share some biblical passages. I'm going to give a couple of more recent examples as well. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about why I think our mindset has shifted a little bit from this. So let me just start by reading the scripture that really begins this whole concept. And it is the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, the Hebrew says chaos, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then I'm just going to skip down, verse 27, and so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want to emphasize that when he says rule over, he's talking about caring for, not harsh rule. <laughs> um, then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that is, has fruit in it and with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and to the birds of the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So we can read those scriptures and instantly spiritualize everything, but if you listen closely, and if you read the chapter, you'll see there's order that there's division and there's God laying out things. He's, he's laid out specific kinds of food. He's laid out uh, how animals will reproduce. He's laid out society even for humans. And that has to be the starting place for everything we think of in terms of what life in God looks like. He's, he's laid out a full life for us. He's created the earth. He's created the heavens and the earth. And he's not divided it into this kind of idea of sacred and secular. For God, when he God created, everything was of and from God. So we begin with God when we think about our lives. We begin with God when we think about society. We should anyways. I don't think we do, but this is the starting place, and this is one of the reasons that I wanted to bring these, these topics is because I think we should think about God in everything we think about society. We have to begin with God. So why do we work? We work because God works. 
He worked on for six days in creating, and then he rested on the seventh. He shows himself as a God who works. We work because God works. And then he gave us work to do in the garden. Uh, just a reminder, by the way, that work isn't part of the curse, that it was the difficulty and the dissatisfaction that we face sometimes in our work. That was part of the curse, but we worked in the garden. Uh, why do we have family and interpersonal relationship? Because God is Trinity, and he's relationship itself. Why do we do government? Because God is Lord. Why do we create art, write music or poetry? Why do we design machines or buildings or infrastructure? Because God is a creator. Why do we have social welfare? Because God is a provider. Why do we have medicine? Because God is a healer. God is the beginning of all of this stuff that we take for granted in society, and yet all of it flows out of the fact that we are created in the image of God. And that stuff flows through us naturally because that stuff flows through him naturally. So let me give a couple of more recent examples, not like contemporary, but um, both from the 1800s. First one is Arthur Guinness. Arthur Guinness was a Christian man, and he, he grew up in a Christian family. He saw in Ireland of his day a problem with alcoholism and drunkenness, and he cried out to God, what can I do to help in this situation? And he felt God gave him a recipe for a drink that could be made in, or brewed and sold in the pubs that would be a lower alcohol content, a heavier drink so that it filled you up before you could really get drunk. Now, the alcohol content in Guinness, I think, has gone up lately because we've got different intentions for it these days. But when he invented it, it had a lower alcohol content, it was heavier, and it had other kind of health benefits as well. In fact, for a long time, doctors were prescribing it for pregnant women. I don't think they do that anymore. But <laughs> Arthur Guinness saw God at work in him as a brewer. He was called and moving as a brewer. And we think, well, when we look for anointing, we look for pastors, we look for missionaries to be anointed. Arthur Guinness was anointed to brew a beer for the kingdom of God because he wanted to do something for God's kingdom in helping with the drunkenness in his day. Another one, another person who I found really, really interesting was a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis who in the mid-19th century was teaching at a surgical clinic. He was really perplexed by the fact that um, the high mortality rate of pregnant women in the uh, surgery. And good Christian man studying his scriptures. And one day he realized that um, through studying the scriptures that there was something that could be done. See, what they were doing was, because it was a teaching hospital, the doctors were dissecting cadavers down in the basement, learning about medicine, going immediately from there up and in examining women who were pregnant. No one knew why these women were dying, but in his reading of scripture, it dawned on him one day, and he came up with the idea that they should wash their hands with lye after examining cadavers before they examine women. This is normal practice for us today, obviously. But for them, because they didn't understand germ theory and stuff like that, they thought that he was a crazy Christian who was seeing kind of demons and stuff like that. And his idea of microscopic, unseeable living organisms that were infecting these women. Um, they laughed him out of the, the surgery. He actually ended up dying in an insane asylum later. But he put it into practice. And his, the mortality rate of the women he examined dropped exponentially. 
And it was actually very shortly after his life that that became normal practice. He said he got that from reading scripture. And I think I'm going to share a little bit later where he got that. So these men thought of this as normal. It was very normal for them in their practice of life, not religious life, but their normal life, their jobs, their careers, to see God at work. I want to ask the question, why do we typically, and I'm not saying to everybody, but typically these days, we don't have that paradigm. And I think there's a really good reason. The primary reason for it is the cultural shift that happened really, really early in the church. See, when God began this big experiment, and obviously when creation was formed and stuff like that, there wasn't a Jewish people or anything like that. But when he began and created the the nation of Israel, it was for him, uh, for better word, an experiment to have a group of people who would live their life completely encompassed within the kingdom of God. He wanted a people who would represent him to the nations on not just spirituality, not just who is the right God, but what it looked like to live the fullness of your life wrapped up with relationship to God. The people of Israel were meant to be an, an example to the nations around them. Now, I don't believe that they ever lived fully up to that, but we see in their law, we see in their culture, uh, a people who had no concept of the idea of sacred and secular. For the Hebrew people, everything was sacred and everything was secular. They didn't divide those two. Most of you probably expected me to stop at everything was sacred and not add everything was secular as well because that's our mindset, that the sacred is the important and the secular is the unimportant. But secular is a word that just means in the world. And they saw everything as sacred, being of God, but everything as secular in this world. We're to live our life fully in God in this world. Now, on the other hand, when the church was formed, very early on, it moved to the Greek-speaking world. And the, the Christian teachers in the early church and moving on, the theologians moving on through history, were highly influenced by Greek thought, primarily by Plato, Aristotle, and the Stoics. And these philosophers saw life as divided. So they saw heaven, the earth was a, a poor reflection of heaven, in the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, some of them saw all material things as actually evil and to be shunned. And this mindset, naturally, as the, as the church moved into the Greek-speaking world, began to sink in to the church. And the theologians began to teach about God being the prime mover, the form, whereas humanity... So, so Augustine looked at Plato and saw that man was the image of God Earth was the image of heaven. Time was the image of eternity. So there was a separation of these things that was not real. It was a philosophy that said heaven is the best. Earth is a poor reflection. God is the best. Man's a poor reflection. Eternity is the best. Time is just a poor reflection. And this began to sink into our whole being as a church, our whole Christianity. And so very soon, the concept of worship and prayer, and our relationship with God was what you did in church on a Sunday, or maybe on a midweek meeting. And the really, really devout people prayed privately in their homes as well. But it all had to do with spiritual exercises like prayer and singing songs and those kind of things. 
very little was around how you just lived your life. As I said earlier, when, when God called Israel to himself, he meant them to be a people who would be an example of a culture that lived fully in kingdom principles. His laws weren't just religious. So if you, how many here, your favorite book in the Bible or books is Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Raise your hand. Come on. Yes. That's awesome. Well, you are a minority in probably the entire Christian church. <laughs> I actually, for me, Leviticus is amazing. And it became amazing to me when I began to look at these things and how God impacts us in real life. Because we brush over them really quickly because they're really dry. They can be really dry until you start looking at the details of God speaking to the people about real life. He spoke to them laws about when you come into the land and you plant trees, don't harvest the fruit off them for the first three years. And then the, the next year, you, you tithe it. What's he talking about? Is that just some kind of weird religious thing? No. You give the, fruit, the, the tree time to develop its fruit. It will bear more fruit if you allow it to do it naturally and you don't pick the fruit every single time. He spoke to them about business. For example, pay your workers on time. He spoke to them about debt. Don't take a man's livelihood as security for debt. Don't take the millstone that he uses to create wealth as security for the debt, because then he can't work. He spoke to them about agriculture, as I just said. Social welfare. Don't harvest your fields to the edges, but leave the edges for the poor to come collect. If you forget a sheath, sheaf of wheat don't go back for it let the poor come and take that he even spoke to them about medicine and this is this is one obviously you, he talked about quarantining if you came in contact with a dead body or a leper you're to be out of the camp for seven days a lot of people think oh that's really kind of ceremonial stuff he talked about when you come back into the camp going to the priest and being ritually cleansed with water from a hyssop branch do you know that hyssop has natural antiseptic in it? It wasn't just a ooky woo spiritual thing, priest dancing around you with holy water and a hyssop branch. God knows that there's medicine that drips from the hyssop branch that will, that will cleanse the disease from you if you came into contact with leprosy or a dead body. And that's, by the way, where I think Semmelweis got his idea as he was reading the scripture, because he knew that some of these plants had antiseptic properties. And he thought, if we wash our hands with lye, it will kill the germs. Didn't know what germs were, but he knew something was up there. So let me ask, do we, I mean, I'm in a different situation because my job is in the church, in the, quote, sacred arena, though it shouldn't be seen that way. Do you think of your work, your creativity? Do you think of every area of your life in terms of it being wrapped up in the kingdom of God? Ask yourself that really honestly. How, how do we divide our life into sacred and secular? Because there should be no divide. When you're at work and you're facing a problem, you have a deadline and there's something that's not working, is your first instinct to ask the Holy Spirit? We're quick to, in this church, think prophetically and think, if I've got something going on in my life, I want to talk to Nick and Jan and have them prophesy over me about personal issues. But do we think that way in terms of our work? 
do we think in terms of the way we interact with society as God-ordained? Do we think in terms of the way we vote, the issues that we face with immigration? I love the fact that God even dealt with immigration in his law. Consider the immigrant among you as a brother, for you were once an immigrant in Egypt. I am the Lord. I love it when he says, I am the Lord, when he says, I am, I am Yahweh, after issuing a law, he means do it. <laughs> do we think of our lives, every aspect, everything that we do outside of this building, outside of our small groups, outside of our prayer closet, as in God? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's really easy to, to have that, still kind of have that separate mindset as for the Lord and not for men. I love what the Greek literally says. It says, whatever you might do, do from your soul as it's for the Lord and not men. Even our, our sacred secular mindset has even seeped into some of the English translations and we divide those things. So, so whatever you're doing, do it as if it was unto the Lord. You know, we're putting a sacred mindset on it, even though it's secular, the way you can read that. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying, do it as for the Lord, because it is sacred. And it's secular. So we need to begin to retrain our minds. And that's not easy. Paradigm shifts never come easy. It takes being conscious of the way we think about things. So I want to challenge you as you begin to try to shift your paradigm, shift the way you think when you're at work this week or when you're in the garden or when you're doing whatever you're doing, think about the kingdom. Think about God's principles. Go back to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. What does God say about gardening? How does God say the best way to plant a vineyard? Or how does, what does God say about how do you interact with the people around you? And society, and we need to begin to retrain our thinking so that every aspect of our life is for the Lord, is through the Lord, is through God, God in us, working in the world. Jesus didn't come to save us so that one day we can go to heaven. Jesus came. In fact, we've read the end of the story, and we're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming here. When he spoke, he began to talk about how the kingdom of God is already amongst you and is within you. And so it's a process of learning to live redeemed now. Sin has come into the, to the world, and it's, it's affected the way we do these things. It's affected the way we live life. And sin, the enemy, would just be just as happy if we divided everything up into sacred and secular, because then you're just totally ineffective in this world. And God created this world and said it's very good. And just in case you think that after the fall, that whole idea that God thought it was very good is null and void, in Psalm 139, David cries out, all your works are wonderful. And that's long after the fall. God wants us to be alive in him, in this world, living through him in every aspect of our life. So I just challenge you, begin to think, Begin to be conscious, begin to be intentional about thinking how God is involved in every aspect of your life.
washing the dishes. What's God doing and saying to you as you wash dishes, relating to your children, relating to your spouse, your friends? I look forward to hearing some more specifics from, from John and from Stephen on different aspects of, of God calling us to be alive to him in the world and, and how they've experienced that. So, um, yeah, just keep your ears open. All right, in Jesus' name.